welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Reverend Witham reporting for duty. gosh, I got this thing, and somebody's like, when are you going to ever wear that at Awaken? I was like, you know, I have no idea, but I've got it. So, uh, yeah, evidently there's a, there's a lady in the covenant who uh, designs these and then makes them all by hand every year for all the ordinance. So, pretty, pretty cool. So, yeah, this is called a stole, in case you're wondering. It's got a, well, yeah, I just feel kind of weird, you know. I just, we'll just hang her out there. You guys can take a look at that while I preach. <laughs> Yeah, you kind of need the robe, yeah, yeah. Oh, it goes nice with my tennis shoes and t-shirt. So, uh, welcome to Awaken. In case you didn't know, uh, I was ordained last weekend in Chicago uh, with our denomination, which is the Evangelical Covenant Church. Great experience. Uh, yeah, really, really affirming in so many ways. Long journey, um, but uh, now now I'm in, and it's going to take a lot of work to get me out. So, um uh, if you are new to Awaken, welcome to you. There are some cards on the table. Um, we'd love to know that you are here. So if you could fill one of those out and put it in one of these black boxes back here or here, uh, or there's one up by the bar. They should have a little tree on them, a sticker. Uh, also, if Awaken is home, tithes and offerings can go in there. And before we jump in, I just want to reiterate the survey that's coming up. Um, this is really, really important. We've spent a lot of time trying to craft questions um, that really help us get information that are good, that's going to help make decisions in the future. Uh, we are, in a lot of ways, in transition, many of you know, and so uh, as a leadership team, we're trying to lead well, and we, we want to make decisions based on where the Spirit, we, we, we feel the Spirit is leading, but we also want to know, like, uh, we want to make those decisions based on reality and not what we perceive to be real. So um, please take the time to do that. If you aren't sure if you're on that list or not, we're not going to send it out by the Awaken Weekly. Lots of people that don't come to Awaken get that, and we want to make sure that those who are here on the weekends and experiencing our community are those who are sharing uh, information about that. So if you don't know if you're on that list, talk to me or fill out one of those cards if you haven't yet, and we will get you on that list. Um, Also, before we jump in, I I mentioned a couple weeks ago that I wasn't sure what we were going to do after the 2 Corinthians series. And I spent a little bit of time thinking and praying and kind of, uh, I feel very confident that uh, I'm being, and we're being led to a series, which I'm really excited about. We're going to start this on the 27th, uh, so a couple weeks from now. And we're going to do a study on the, on the life of Moses. Uh, I feel a little bit like Moses in some ways. Um, you know, I see burning bushes all the time. <clears throat> and uh, I, I'm a shepherd. I've got sheep. Um, in all seriousness, though, a guy who uh, is, I feel like, very relatable to a lot of people, you know? Uh, God sh- says something, and um, he's que- he questions. He's not sure. He doubts. He, he has fear and anxiety about lots of different things. Uh, I didn't kill anybody. Uh, he did, so I don't relate to him in that sense. But um, So if you're interested in reading ahead, we're going to be in the book of Exodus and a little bit in the book of Deuteronomy. And uh, very, very excited. We spent a lot of time in the, the rabbi study group that I have been a part of on uh, a lot of this material. So I feel like I've been living in it for a while and am and, and ready to teach it. So excited about that. Um, last week, Jenna, right? Amazing. I listened to the podcast. Somebody said to me, Mikey, you can leave town more often, which is a gift, a huge gift. I didn't take it personally at all. Uh, but Jenna did a great job uh, and uh, very gr- grateful for her. 
becoming quite a little preacher in her own right. So she talked about this important passage in 2 Corinthians about boasting and weakness, right? That in, in, in our weakness, we boast. And uh, actually, Alan, this rabbi that we've studied with, once said to me, Micah, what if Jesus was right and the keys to the kingdom is actually, that they're actually in our brokenness? Which I think is a really interesting idea something that we think about sometimes, but that maybe once we're invited to live there in that space, it's a little bit dicier. Um, but what if the keys to the kingdom are in our brokenness? So as we finish up this book, Second uh, Corinthians, I want to invite you to turn to chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 14 to 20 today. But before we do that, I would love to just kind of hear from you guys. So this is play along. This is not a rhetorical question. Um, I would love as we kind of wrap up, right, we've been in this series since January, since the beginning of the year, if you can believe that, right after Christmas. I'd love to just hear some of the things that God has been doing in your hearts, in your lives. Uh, so I'll throw out the question and um, I'll give you some time to think about it. But if, as you think or as you, you maybe hear something or you've got something, just go ahead and shout it out. What are, what's, either, what's something that surprised you in this series, something that God has been teaching you, or something that's kind of stuck with you as we've been studying in 2 Corinthians? So just shout them out. What are some of the things that you've found interesting along the way? I've learned from Rabbi Allen to hold silence. Conflict. What about it, Bob? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Paul's doing that all over. Yep. Yeah. Yep. What else? Reaping what you sow. Yep. Anything more about that, Mindy? Yeah, you sow good seeds and good things will grow in time. Yep. That's just wisdom. What else? Perseverance. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's hard. Absolutely. What else? I went back and looked through my notes and remembered some of the things we talked about. The whole first part of this book was about suffering and trials and where we find God in the midst of. We explored whether or not there is an alternate possibility that God is the author of pain and suffering and, and maybe rather that we find God in the midst of it as the God of comfort and then God uses us as comfort. We talked about prayer, um, generosity. We did a little mini-series on that. Veils and mirrors, if you remember. We did the the veil up here, and then the mirror the next week. Anything else? Things that stuck out or things that you've remembered? Yeah, in Christ. Yeah. How often we have a view or a picture of God that's inconsistent with what we see to be true in the scriptures, that in Christ 
we see and hear the yes of God for humanity. No questions. Unequivocal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, God's got a plan. And working towards resurrection, right? Towards redemption, the renewal of all things. Anything else? Pirates. Pirates. Yes. I don't know where that came from. Uh, Pirates. We did talk about pirates. What if the gospel is an emancipatory act, which shares something in common with pirates? Yes. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah, Paul seems to think that the Corinthians' prayers... That, that things hang in the balance in terms of them praying. And what are the implications of that for us as we pray? Yeah. Anything else? I find that we teach each other quite well. So this is good. Anything else? All right. Well, let's jump in here. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We don't want to forget all that. I, 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 I hope we don't forget the things that we've learned along the way, and this is, that's always a good practice for me, just to go back and remember. So, stand if you will, uh, if you can, and we will read from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul says this, Now I am ready to visit you for the third time, and I will not be a burden to you, because what I want is not your possessions, but you. Man, stop right there, right? After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? Be that as it may, I have not been a burden to you, yet crafty fellow that I am, I caught you by trickery. Did I exploit you through any of the men I sent to you? I urged Titus to go to you, and I sent our brother with him. Titus did not exploit you, did he? Did we not walk in the same footsteps by the same spirit? You can hear like an elementary school teacher here, you know, rhetorical questions. Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? We've been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ, and everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. For I am afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. Let's pray. God, as we open up this text again, as we do each week. Uh, It's our hope and our prayer. It's my hope and prayer that you would speak in the way that you do, where you find us in the midst of whatever we bring into this room, whether it be pain and suffering, questioning, doubt, anxiety, joy, hope, gratitude, wherever we are, you find us. And you invite us one step further, one click deeper into this journey into this adventure that is following you, following this Jesus. And so, God, I ask that you would do that again today, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, that anything that's not of you would just fall off the end of the stage, and all that is of you would land and root itself deep in our hearts, we pray in in, in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. You can have a seat. So, a couple of things, two things that I really want to draw out of this passage today. There's a middle section in there where I made some commentary that we find Paul kind of 
I wouldn't say trash talking, but he's definitely asking some rhetorical questions, right? He's addressing some of the uh, maybe judgments or accusations that have been made to him, that he's tricking them, that he's sent people to them and trying to sort of manipulate them. And he's like, did I, did I trick you? Did I send Titus to trick you? No, I didn't. But these, this sort of section is, is sandwiched between two markers or two ideas that I want to sort of draw out today. Um, we find Paul at the end of this letter and, and really kind of homing in on a couple of key ideas as he wraps this thing up. He deems these things very important for this little church to hear. And I don't know about you, but it's always a good reminder for me to remember that these, these letters that he's written, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, you know, uh, to the Corinthians, these are to churches that more than likely were no bigger than Awaken. Like maybe at the high end, 100 people. So we think about our community and the things that Paul's talking about. And, and for me, it's a good reminder to say, like, these are things that are very relatable to us and I think are very appropriate to who we are as a community. Um, he begins and he says, he, he opens this section. He says, why or I will not be a burden to you, which is an interesting way to sort of say, or interesting phrase to say to a group of people. And again, this is all context. Jenna talked about this last week. Realtors, they say, Location, location, location. Theologians should be saying context, context, context. Whenever you read something, you always have to put it into context. And so when you put this into context, it's quite obvious that Paul's defending himself against some of these apostles or these false teachers that have infiltrated Corinth. They've gotten sort of the hearts and the ears of the people in Corinth, and they're sort of spreading false messages about Paul and about the gospel. And Paul, right before this, he tells the Corinthians that he's made a fool of himself by boasting, right? And they've made him do that because they're listening to the boasting of these apostles or these, these uh, maybe anti-apostles or these quasi-apostles. These people, they're boasting and they're sort of, you know, pomp and circumstance and sharing all the things that they're good at and, and why Paul is not and all the reasons why Paul isn't an apostle. And so Paul, again, is defending himself. And in the end, Paul sort of exposes this behavior for what it is, which is completely and utterly immature. And it's honestly quite manipulative. All through Paul's ministry, he wouldn't take money for support from any of the churches that he went to, that he planted, that he started. We find it uh, in elsewhere, I think in Acts, where it talks about Paul as a tent maker, which is to say that Paul had a job outside of his ministry career, as we think about it in our terms, right? Paul had this, uh, this, this vocation where he made tents and he built things and he sold them to fund his own life. And so he would never take money or never take support from the people that he was ministering to. Now these people in Corinth are saying, that's exactly why Paul's not an apostle. He's got to have this other thing going over here because what he's doing with us isn't actually legitimate. It's not actually real. It's not actually inspired, which is, of course, what all the false teachers are saying in Corinth. And there are those who are starting to believe him. And Paul, in classic sort of spiritual uh, language and ways, he takes something that appears to be true and actually shows that the opposite is true. So I would, I would maybe just stop for a moment and say, you know, always be ready to have what you think to be totally true upended and turned on its head because this is often what happens in the spiritual life. So Paul does this. Does anybody have a memory of somebody, think like back to grade school or junior high or high school, uh, anybody that was a part of your school or your life, your life as, a, as a youngster um, who would like, was really popular and had a lot of in, in influence in your school and would usually take money from other kids. They ended up being a mooch from people around lunchtime. Does anybody have somebody like that? I remember this one kid in high school. He was really, really popular. 
Uh, I won't share his name because I've learned to not do that. Um, and this guy, he was, he was sort of the upper echelon of popularity in high school, right? Everybody was kind of wanting to be like this kid, and I, myself included. But this guy, inevitably, lunchtime would come around, and French fries were the real big hit at Central High School. Uh, we had French fries, and we had Pizza Hut uh, it would come. And so you could get pizzas, or you could get you know, French fries and burgers, or you know, school lunch from the lunch lady down in Lunch Lady Land, which was never good. So it was always French fries, and French fries were the hot commodity. And inevitably, every day at lunch, this kid would, would mooch, and he would like end up eating half of my fries. And I would let him do it. Because I wanted to be popular. I thought if I gave him my fries, like he would, you know, I would sort of, you know, up, up the ladder we would go in terms of popularity and, and likability. And, and often he would, you know, borrow money from people or folks would loan him money. Of course, he would never get paid back. And this kid would just, you know, on this side of it, he would manipulate people and use his power and influence to sort of uh, uh, get needy people like me to give him his french fries. It was terrible. I wonder if, if the folks that Paul's dealing with in some way are a bit like this, where they're using their power, their influence, and they're actually, what they're doing is completely underhanded. It's manipulative, and it's kind of drawing out. And so they're taking money from the Corinthians. They're asking for support for their ministry. And what Paul is trying to say here is exactly the opposite. He's saying, essentially, listen, I want to expose this for what it is and show the real power, show what real power looks like and how it's used. And it's never power over, it's never manipulative, it's never coercive, it's never for my gain and your loss, but rather, Paul says, I, I come under you and empower you and serve you as the church in Corinth, and I will not in that for those reasons. I won't take your money. I'll support what I'm doing on my own, pay my own way. He talks about this in another one of his letters, I think maybe Colossians. And then look what he says in verses 14 and 15. And this is the first of the two that I want to kind of draw out today. He says, Now I am ready, for the, uh, ready to visit you for the third time, and I will not be a burden to you. Because what I want is not your possessions, but you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. Spending ourselves for someone else. What does that look like? Paul uses this metaphor of parents and children, and he basically says, listen, no, no, no. A child doesn't have to save up money in order to pay for their parents or in order to invest in their parents or give that to their parents. No, rather, it's the opposite that's true. Parents work to save up their resources so that they can give and bless their children. And likewise, Paul says, essentially, I view you, Corinth, as my spiritual children. I'm your spiritual father in that way. I, with the help of the Spirit, birthed this community, many of which you have, have come to know Jesus through. And in that sense, I'm your spiritual father. And he owns that place. And he says, what I want is to give myself to you and for you. He says, I would gladly give everything I have, even myself, for you. couple of questions. What does it mean to spend everything you have for, the, for somebody else? What does it mean to spend everything you have, even yourself, for someone else? I remember one of the first times I saw this kind of lived out, and I, and I maybe started to get what this looks like. Uh, I was maybe 14. I worked at a golf course and worked with this kid 
Uh, we both went to the same church together. And so we would work. We would caddy, sh- you know, schlep it for uh, rich folks who c- were terrible at golf. And, uh, and so we would do this day in and day out. We'd ride our bikes there and, and show up and, you know, loop it, we called it. And uh, in our youth group, there was a trip that was coming up, ironically enough, to Chicago, where I was this last weekend. If anybody of you follow uh, the Twitter feed for Awaken, I tweeted that I was, like, almost, I didn't stand there, but I, I drove past the very place where I gave my life to Jesus for the, for the real when I was 14. It was this trip. So in our youth group, this trip's coming, and, we, and, and to go on it, it was quite expensive. And uh, we had a friend, we'll call her Amy for the sake of anonymity, and Amy came from a family that just no way was she going to be able to afford this trip. And I watched this kid, my friend, he heard this and heard Amy sharing that she w- probably wasn't going to be able to go on this trip. And this kid started like working extra and caddying two rounds in a day and saving his own money and putting it aside. And when the time came for registration, he went to this girl, Amy, and said, I want to pay for you to go on this trip to Chicago. A 14-year-old. This is, I would be willing to spend, I want to, I w- I want to spend everything I have on for you, even myself. Maybe a second question. Have you ever had someone give this way to you? Where they have given them their very self. Which is grace. It's gift. When it's done right, when it's done in the right spirit, and sometimes it's not, but when it's done with the right spirit, it's gift. It's grace. Which requires a very, very disciplined spiritual aptitude, I would say, of being able to receive a gift which many of us struggle with, do we not? When someone gives something, we immediately feel indebted. We immediately feel like it's tit for tat. We have to give back because we got. Has anyone ever done this for you, where they've given of, them, of their very selves? And maybe a question that, I, I don't know that this really has an answer, but I think it's worth throwing out there because it's probably one that's swirling around in somebody's head. How do we do this and still maintain a sense of self? How do you give yourself away and still remain a self? How do you give yourself away and not become somebody who's overextended and who has no boundaries whatsoever? How do you give of your very self and not become somebody who gives more than you ought? Because there's a sense in which we have to protect the resource that we've been given our very lives so that we can give. And there's a balance there where it's not you give it all away so that you die, you kill the the goose that lays the golden egg, so that you, and then you can never, no, no, that's not what Paul's talking about here, and that's not what I'm encouraging. So how do you do this in such a way that you maintain a sense of self and healthy, healthy boundaries? Uh, this last week, I was doing the dishes. I've shared before that the dish, the sink is often a place where I meet God. Not really sure why or how this works or what, what happens there. Uh, but for whatever reason, uh, the monotony of just kind of like, you know, rinsing and doing the dishes uh, sort of allows my head to open up and my heart to open up to things that I'm not normally open to. And I often imagine things and, and really, really see pictures of things that are very vivid when I'm doing the dishes. So sure enough, I'm doing the dishes this last week. And uh, I think I maybe 
In a way that I hadn't before, I began to understand what I think Paul senses and feels for this group at Corinth. And for the first time in this transition that we're in, uh, if you didn't know, two of our staff people that helped start this church have moved on, and so uh, here we are. This is the first day, actually, without either Ben or Toph. And I'm standing in front of the sink, and I'm doing the dishes, and for the first time amidst this transition, I just begin to hear all of the doubt and all of the anxiety and all the fear very, very clearly. And I start to think, like, what if I can't do it? What if I don't have what it takes? What if this is, what if this is the beginning of the end? What if the dream is over? What if this is, uh, this is the end of our road? And I usually listen to music when I'm doing this, and the song Oceans came on. And you call me out on the waters, the great unknown where my feet may fail. There, I find you in the mystery, in oceans deep. My faith will stand, and so I will call upon your name. And keep my eyes above the waves, and when oceans rise, my soul will rest in you, in your embrace. For I am yours, and you are mine. And I had this sense, this invitation that I've heard to kneel. (laughs) And if you were here a while ago when I told the story about my trip to Israel, this may sound familiar to you. And I learned from that trip, and I did immediately. I heard it, and I just kneeled. So there I am, if you can imagine, in in the kitchen, weeping on my knees with my hands in the sink. And Laura comes up the stairs, and she just stands behind me and holds my head. And, and then Dahlia. And by the way, the word blessing in Hebrew is baruch, and it has the root to kneel. And so often when you find someone who receives blessing in Scripture, you find that they're kneeling. And in walks Dahlia, my daughter, and Dahlia comes up. She's seven. She puts her hand on my back, and Laura kind of steps back, and Dahlia just begins to rub my back and hold me. (laughs) I'm 37. (laughs) And there it is, gift, blessing. I don't know where this is headed. I don't know what the future holds for us, guys. I don't know the answers to a lot of the questions. I don't know the end of the story. I don't know what is ahead of us, but I will say this. I'm spending everything I have for you and for this community, and I'm giving my very self to this, and I'm trying to do it in a way that doesn't compromise the relationships that mean the most to me, my family and my kids, So spirit lead us where our trust was, is without borders. Where we walk upon waters wherever you would call us.
And so that's my prayer. That's what I've been praying for this week, that we as a community would learn what it means to give of ourselves to each other, to give of our very lives for one another and for the sake of the gospel in the world, and what it means to live as a people who follow Jesus. And I have one part in this, and it's not that important, I know, and I recognize. We do this together. And I want to invite us into that exploration of what does it mean to be people who learn to give of ourselves, our very lives, for the sake of the gospel. And it's going to look different for all of us. For some of you, it's going to look like just really, really, really loving your kids well, right now. And that counts. For some of you, it's going to be coming and setting up on Sunday mornings, faithfully, every week. And that counts. For some of you, it's leading life groups. For some of you, it's serving in other areas. It's, it's going to look different for everybody. But I want to invite you into that as we walk this out together. The end of this passage I find just absolutely fascinating. I don't know if you caught this passage, but the last verse that we read, verse 20, says this. For I am afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be. And you may not find me as you want me to be. Whew. Right? The peril of relationships. <laughs> Paul goes on uh, in the end of this, and he addresses some very specific things that are happening in Corinth, things that were relational and affected the community, uh, sexual sins that people were a part of that were wreaking havoc in their lives. But I want to stop here on, on this bit and just camp here for a moment. Have you ever feared that you would find that that you may find someone, or you may you may you may not find someone as you want them to be? Or maybe worse, that they might not find you as they want you to be. Uh, I remember a letter that I wrote in college where I uh, was going through uh, just a really difficult period of, of time and uh, a lot of hurt and forgiveness and a letter that I had written to somebody inviting that person to step into a role. In some ways, it was what I always hoped for and what I always longed for. And there it is. It's out there, right? There's my heart. In vulnerable, hoping for, wanting this person to step into this relationship, and I fear that I may not find you as I want you to be. And there's the tension, isn't it? Where our expectations and our hopes for a relationship come face to face with the reality that this person may not be or may never be what we hope for or want. And what do you do here? Because this is the, this is the peril of, of what we do. I don't know if you spend any time thinking about this. I, I'm a, maybe I'm a little weird on this, but sometimes I just think like, at the, if you boil it all down, like what are we here for as humans? Like what's the point of all this? And one of the things that I keep coming back to is relationships. If in fact we're made in the image of a God who is relational in its essence, Father, Son, and Spirit, like the very core, the very essence, the foundation of what God is as a being is relationality. And then we're made in the image of this God, and so it goes to follow that we are made for relationship. And what happens when you fear that you may find somebody not as you hoped they would be? Or what happens when somebody else may find you as they, not as they hope you would be? We've got a couple of options, right? 
We sort of live at a distance. We keep people right out here so that our hopes and our expectations are never, are, are never disappointed. Or we just sort of live in isolation altogether, just shut people out. Or we stand in it. The peril of what it means to be a human being made for relationships, where it may be true that you find somebody and find someone not as you hoped they would be, but something else. And where someone else may find you not as they hoped you to be, but something else. And this is the tension. This is where we live. This is why when people who are leading religious communities say that things are black and white and it's very easy and it's, it's just not, because this tension right here is messy and it's disastrous at times, And it is the highest of highs and the lowest of lows right here in this relationships. I want to read this quote, and if you've been around me long enough, you you may have heard this before. It it may actually be on the back of a CD that we produced as a youth group band way back in the day. (laughs) But C.S. Lewis says this. I think it will be on the screen here. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries and avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, and motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will not it, it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. So this is one of those Sundays when I just leave you right here. <laughs> In the sort of anxiety, the uncomfortable place of this reality that we live as humans desperately needing relationship. And so close to the possibility of disappointment and struggle and failure and hurt and beauty and hope and love all right there. I've been doing this long enough to know and to, I've, be, I've begun to pray that whatever it is that God has for us when we gather from the scriptures that there'd be something for everybody. And so I trust that there may be something here for you this morning. And so maybe as we close, I'll invite Stefan and the band back up. We're going to sing one more song together. But maybe just two questions to ponder. What kinds of relationships do you have where you would be willing to spend everything, even yourself? Or has someone done that for you? Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's this church, maybe it's something else. But where you're being invited to live into this, well, this example that we see in Jesus where he lays everything down on our behalf for us. He says, I give even my very life. And how do you do that? Protecting the things that you need to protect, but with honesty and vulnerability. Maybe the second question, what are the relationships in your life where you fear 
you might not find someone as you want them to be or they might not find you as they want you to be and where is God in the midst of that so maybe just a moment or two to think ponder ask the spirit what is for you today and then we'll close with this last song pray with me God as we take a few moments to just think and respond and listen I pray that you would be present that we would be able to hear your voice in very clear ways whatever whatever it sounds like for each of us God that you would speak and draw us into whatever it is that you have for us today give us the courage to stand there to remain in the light to not go back into the darkness but to offer you all of our heart that are lovely and the things that maybe aren't. Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.